Bonjour and Bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we review, rate, and rank all the kings and emperors of France from Clovis to Napoleon III. Who will be selected as the creme de la creme and who will be sent to the guillotine? Je m'appelle Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. So this week, um, I've lured you here onto false pretenses because we will not be uh, reviewing, rating, or ranking any of the kings and emperors of France. Say what? Clovis to Napoleon III. We are, in fact, talking about a woman. <gasps> a badass woman. A woman. So this is episode 2.5. De Poissank, which means that it's going to be an intermediary episode. Yeah. Where there's a bit of a gap in our history because in this early season, we're only talking about who was king of all the Franks. That's the criteria we're using. Otherwise, we'll be talking about way too many kings. (laughs) And you guys will get bored because there's like no details on most of them. So we're doing like an intermediate episode to fill the gap. And we've decided to choose an interesting figure from the period who's connected to our history, who, um, yeah, who fills that, whose life story it's, fills that gap. Yep. And, cool and that woman is it's called Fredegund. And we are re-recording this episode yeah. because we... Did an initial Fredegund episode. And audio was shite. Audio was dodge. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you guys might notice that in our earlier episodes... Like, audio is not the best. Yeah, one of us is always too quiet. One of us is always too loud. We were still figuring out. Um, but we've got our act together more. A certain person forgot to turn the dial hard enough. Well, I'm sorry. I'm I pointing- thought I'd break it. <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers. <laughs> Um, but for ages, we were like, Eliza, why are you so quiet? And she's like, I don't know. I'm talking loudly. Um, but, you know, it's fitting that in this one, we're, in this one, we're talking about a woman and the woman finally has a voice in the conversation. Woo. You're finally not qu- too quiet. <laughs> but um, next episode, which we record in the future, the past, the past. If you next episode, we'll have those audio problems. Not as bad as I think the last couple episodes have been. But then after that, it's smooth sailing. Yeah. Our audio is good. Um, so, yeah. So, look forward to that. So, the reason that I have chosen Fredegund is because she's possibly the most scandalous and controversial woman of our entire period that we're talking about. She's very Cersei Lannister-esque. She's very Cersei Lannister-esque. Um, she's very, like, evil queen from Snow White. Yeah. There may or may not be some stepchildren murdered. <laughs> we will be giving her a score at the end, just like we would with a king. But she's not on our official list. She's not in our dungeon. She's uh, in the Imperial Consort Palace. Yeah, she's in like the, the Louvre. She's in the she's in the stadium about to watch the tournament, I'm gonna say. <laughs> but will she get royal seat or be the commoners? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can say that. Um, so at the end of, or we do, when we do all the kings of the Franks and France, we we just imagine there's a stadium with all of the side people we also <laughs> talked about, just watching and judging alongside yeah. us. Um, Stupid with this grass stiffer. Oh gosh, I, that will show up definitely. Yeah. We just bragged about how good our audio was, and but then, someone is bloody cross the road sniffing their grass. But just imagine it's Fredegund uh, whippersnippering her enemies in the background. <laughs> just just imagine that's what that noise is. Oh my god, we are really waffling. Yeah. We're, we're, we're Let's minutes, hear about so his life. Her life. Her life. Sorry, I'm so used to Force of habit, yeah. Gosh. So um, this will be our last episode relying on Gregory of Tours, our 6th century Frankish author. And we are, because we are at the point where Gregory of Tours is living through events, which is quite exciting. And he has a lot of opinions about <laughs> our girl Fredegund, a lot of strong opinions, uh-huh. which may not be all that positive. <laughs> um, and uh, the level of detail that we're getting in these early episodes is not going to continue, unfortunately. But let's get into Fredegund's life that we do know. Yay. So we don't know when she was born or who her parents were. So we're off to a great start. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we do know that she's not a princess. She's possibly not even nobility. Hmm. 
She could have even been a slave or a servant um, at the Frankish court. So the name Fredegund comes from the Gen- Germanic elements Fred, meaning peace, and Gund, meaning war. So her name looks like it means war and peace. Uh, <laughs> it's so fitting. So fitting. Um, maybe Tolstoy should have written a novel about her. <laughs> it was Tolstoy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> so she enters Gregory of Tours' account in the late 560s, about 10 years after Clothar the Old's death in 558. And she's a concubine to King Chilperic, who I've written, I keep calling him Perry in my notes, because Chilperic and Childeric, which are two different names that recur throughout Frankish history. Why do you just call him Prick? I want this to be a family podcast. <laughs> But Chilperic Perry, I'm going to call him Perry. learning about the murders is family orientated. Yeah, but, you know, the language can be... Yeah, you're right. It's like... <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a... I'm, I don't make the rules of censorship. So, um, King Perry is the old king's fourth son. And as we know, he split his um, kingdom among his sons. And this fourth son is getting the kingdom of Soissons. So that's the little kingdom up around Belgium area. Teeny tiny. But is the the per capita the richest and like it's a good it's the like most fertile land or something? It's not necessarily about fertile. It's more like the Franks are more established there. Oh. Because that's where they kind of started. Yeah, they're at the beginning of our series. So um yeah, so he's the he's the youngest son, um, since Cram got burned to death. Remember Cram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we know that Fredegund exists because they have their first child, a daughter called Rigunth, around 569. And at some point, Fredegund, even though she's of hum- humble origins, seems to gather enough wealth and influence for a large dowry, enough to get married to the king. Damn. Yeah, so That's pretty impressive, from potential slave to queen. Yeah, so she's making friends and influencing people. She's a lot of power at the court because she has the heart of the king. However, Fredegund has competition with a number of other women because, of course, we have polygamy. <laughs> and this is a struggle that's going to define her entire life. This struggles with other women because, unfortunately, in history, people love a fight between two women. So that's, of course, the narrative that we're getting. So King Perry, uh, yes, as we said, rules Swasson. He also gets a chunk of Aquitaine because his eldest brother, Charibert, dies without male heirs in 567. And by the time Fredegund arrives on the scene, Perry already has a wife called Aldevira. I like that name. Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice name. Yeah. And she's given him a few children, uh, but she's getting up there in years. She's probably like late 30s-ish. Um, so she's probably not going to give any more children, and Chilperic's eye is wandering to uh, this course. lovely maidservant, Fredegund. And, uh, of course, she's painted by Gregory of Tours as a master seductress. And this is how she's able to do a lot of her plots and stuff. She's able to, like, sexually influence people. Not that we're saying this. Anything against being sexual. Yes. We, we are a sex-positive podcast, yes. I would say. Um, so we're going to be cheering her on throughout yes. this, <laughs> even though she does some very questionable things. <laughs> so Fredegund, with her like seductive powers, ends up convincing Perry to repudiate out of Vera. So basically divorce her. Uh. And she's forced to leave court with her children. Ooh, she, has a, children. she has a dramatic exile and she goes up to the city of Rouen in northern France and she's going to be there for a little bit with uh, a few angry sons. However, Perry also decides to marry another wife. <sighs> and this wife is called Galswinda. And she's more important than either Aldevera or Fredegund because she is an actual princess of Ooh. the Spanish Visigoths. Not only does Galswinda come in with a big dowry, but Perry also gifts her a large tract of land in Aquitaine as part of the marriage pact. Galswinda also came over with a sister named Brunhilde, who mm. will become quite important to our story. And Brunhilde gets married to Perry's older brother, Sigebert I, who's king in Austrasia, so eastern sort of Germany area kingdom. 
Um, so it's like this big double marriage situation that hopefully in- is going to ensure peace between the Visigoths and all the Frankish kings. And maybe down the line, give the Franks some claims on Visigoth lands. Mm. They still got their eye on Septimania, the Mediterranean coast, which they really want. They're going to get that juicy Mediterranean trade. Uh, also, the Visigoths are starting to turn away from Arianism and towards Catholicism at this point, which means there's going to be a lot of internal conflict, which is also good for the Franks. They can take advantage yeah. of that. And this is demonstrated when the princesses convert to Catholicism once they enter France, or the Frankish kingdom, I should say. So, while Sigebert prided himself on his virtue and only took his lovely princess Brunhilda to bed with him. That was pretty rare. And, yeah, he was monogamous as well. Perry is still dallying around with his lowly concubine, Fredegund. And Gauswinda doesn't like that her younger, prettier sister, Brunhilda- Gets is, have a man to herself. Gets Yeah, gets all this lovely treatment while she's basically being treated as a second-rate wife to this lowly servant woman. Yeah. She doesn't like this. Gregory tells us that Perry loved Gauswinda, but it's probably more lost? her money. <laughs> Not lost, her money. Uh. Because they don't have any children. Uh, Whereas Fredegund is popping out babies left and right. <laughs> she has the last. In this period, yeah. So, but Galswinda's troubles are soon going to be over. Mm. So I've got a quote from Gregory. Complaining to the king that she was continually enduring outrages and had no honour with him, she asked to leave the treasures which she had brought with her and be permitted to go free to her native land. So she's like, I want a divorce. You can keep all the stuff. I just want to get out of here. <laughs> Sounds like a great deal for Sounds Perry. Sounds like a great deal. But King Perry made ingenious pretenses and calmed her with gentle words. At length, he ordered her to be strangled by a slave and found her dead on the bed. <laughs> yeah, because that's the way to resolve it when someone wants to leave you. Yeah, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, go straight he from- do it himself. Go straight from, I want to leave, to, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. Didn't do it himself. Um, I Although there is a medieval, there's a medieval manuscript painting of him doing it himself, like with a towel, just like uh. strangling her. Um, and there's a lot of, of course, like tragic romantic paintings of her dead on the bed, Gauswinda. So as we can probably tell from this, Perry is bad news. Mm-hmm. Gregory calls him the Nero and Herod of his time. Oh. So you know he must be bad because Gregory painted Clothar the first in an okay light, even though he killed loads of family members. Um, so in 568, King Sigebert, by the way, he's just briefly fought and been captured by the Huns. <laughs> well, that's at least what Gregory calls them. They're probably actually the Avars, oh. um, who, but they're similar sort of horse archery people from the East. Oh. They're in sort of Hungary. What's Hungary now? But surviving the Agars, Sigebert comes home and he's outraged to find that Perry has murdered- His sister-in-law. His sister-in-law. Their double sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he and his wife, Brunhilde, also understandably very mad, from this point on become bitter rivals with Perry and Fredegund. So we've got the rival power couples, Ooh. the virtuous couple and the evil couple, the Lannisters and the Starks, maybe- <laughs> Um, and their other brother, King Guntram, who rules from the city of Orléans and also controls Burgundy and later becomes a saint. Of course. He tries and fails to keep the peace. A war ensues and Sigebert takes from Perry all the land in Aquitaine that he'd given to Gauswinda. Because he's like, you killed her. You don't get this land anymore. (laughs) Um, and this is land that they had- decided to share after Charibert died. But now Sigebert's like, nah, you've forfeited your right for this land. I'm going to take it. Then he turns around and goes to Paris. Perry withdraws north, uh, shutting himself up in the city of Tournai in Belgium. And his people down south basically abandon him. They come to tell Sigebert that they want him to be their king instead. And he triumphantly enters Paris and this seems fair enough to me because pretty much all Perry has done so far is take loads of wives and murder one of them. Yeah. Is this but, a trap? Well, 
Who's Trappy? Fredegunt gets kind of desperate. It's not good for her either because she's having all these sons, but what use is that when her husband's kingdom is going to fall? Yeah, true. Um, so she's backed into a corner and she's gonna, she's gonna fight and she's gonna do it the way she knows best through seduction and plotting. So Sigurd enters the city of Paris triumphantly in the year 575. And he's raised up on the shields. Oh, Everyone's cheering. He gets on a horse. He rides through town. And then... I love that they're still doing the shields. They are still doing the shields, oh, yeah. The the Clovis coronation was kind of like a one-off. Uh, it was kind of like an acknowledgement that the emperor had recognized him. But raising on the shields is the real way that you'll recognize as a king. And, quote, then two slaves who had been placed under a charm by Queen Fredegund carrying strong knives with poisoned blades, approached him on some pretext and stabbed him, one on each side. Sigurd cried aloud and fell and died in a short time. Oh. So yeah, they've uh, they've come up and shanked him. With poison with knives. poison. Queen Brunhilde, his wife, is captured and she's imprisoned at Rouen in the north. Mm. But... Uh, she manages to send her five-year-old only son, Childebert II, safely home to Metz, the capital of Austrasia. So he's able to inherit that kingdom from his murdered father. And guess who else is in Rouen, where Brunhilde now is? Ale- was it something Vera? Aldevira. Aldevira. I was yeah. about to say Alo, and I'm like, no, it's not that. And Aldevira and Brunhilde become friends, thanks to their mutual hatred of Fredegund. Of course. Um, and they decide to team up your, against her. Your enemy's enemy is your friend. Exactly. Um, so out of Vera, one of her sons called Merovec, who's named after the leader, or not the leader, the uh, founder, founder, like the ancestor, the legendary ancestor of the Merovingians. Merovec is leading some of his dad's army down in Poitiers to help resecure some of those Aquitanian lands that got taken now that Sigurd is dead, but. He abandons his post. Oh. Yeah. So people looking around camp, they're like, where did Merovec go? go? Where did Prince Merovec go? He's up in Rouen. And Aldevira has arranged for him to marry Brunhilde. Oh. Yeah. Um, and Brunhilde is also freed from prison at this time. And the marriage was not deemed legal at first by the church because <laughs> Brunhilde was the widow of Merovec's uncle. And marrying in-laws is a no-no in this time. So she's marrying, like, her nephew-in-law? Nephew-in-law, yeah. So the church deems that, would deem this as incest um, because, yeah, it's uh, – you, you want to marry outside your family, according to Christian doctrine. But uh, it was still a powerful challenge to both Perry and Fredegund, especially since they were married by a bishop, uh, Pretextatus, who will come back and will become a saint – he was the Bishop of Rouen, and he married them together. Mm. So Brunhilde was freed and went back to Austrasia to be her son's regent. But Merovec was caught by his dad, and he was tonsured. His hair was cut. Oh, damn. Yeah. So he was made a monk and sent into the monastery of Le Mans in the centre of France. But then Merovec made a bid for freedom, and he Ooh. fled because... <gasps> Monasteries don't make the best prisons, <laughs> as I think we discussed a couple episodes ago. Um, they Does don't he really, make it far? They don't really have high security prison in this time. He didn't make it. Well, he made it quite far. He managed to assemble some troops, Ooh. but not enough. Oh. Because people don't want to follow a guy with no hair. Yeah, because that's just a loser. It's not very attractive to them. Yeah. They're like, no. You're it, not a king. Hair is a symbol of power in our culture, and you don't have any. So. so mm. Mm. So he ended up uh, abandoning his rebellion and he took up sanctuary in the monastery of St. Martin of Tours, which is where a man called Gregory of Tours lives. Yeah, he's actually the bishop at this they time. They could have met. They could have met. They, they probably, probably did. I think they would have met because Gregory's the one, the man in charge. Yeah. Merivet comes up to him and he's like, please help me. Sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> but however, Merivet knew that his enemies would still be after him. And he ordered a servant to end his life oh, by wow. slitting his throat. Yeah. And not smothered with a pillow, but you know. 
Nah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to die by a blade. Yeah, maybe he was a warrior. Yeah, more honorable or something. Yeah, and uh, Gregory does not like Fredegon because she's the cause of all of this horror. Horror that he is now not Perry. First hand witnessing. Not not Perry. Of course, it's not the man's fault. Yep, it's the woman's fault. Um, so Perry is now in on and off conflict with his remaining brother Guntram, mm-hmm. who is now allied with Brunhilde because uh, Guntram doesn't have any sons. Yeah. Um, so he makes her son Childebert II his heir. Ah. Uh. So they're now in a little alliance, but it's not all out civil war. There are little scuffles here and there, but apparently Fredegund and Guntram actually become friends. Oh, that's nice. Because. Apparently the reason is that Guntram had killed one of Aldevera's sons in battle. Ah. So Fredegund is like, I like you. (laughs) (laughs) You killed my stepson. I love people who do that. (laughs) Um, We're besties now. Yeah. And apparently there's a couple other stepchildren of Aldevera that Fredegund discreetly murders. Uh. It's all blamed on her. All the murders that happen in this period are blamed on her. Perry does manage to get a bit of land off Guntram, and his territory's looking pretty good, pretty nice shape. He controls most of the north and west of France, and uh, his capital is Paris. And this is a territory that, from now on, we're going to call Neustria. Yeah. So we've got Neustria in the north of what is now France, we've got Austrasia in the east, and we've got Burgundy down south, which is Guntram's. Yeah. Yeah. And all three of these kingdoms have kind of bits and pieces of Aquitaine. Uh. Yeah, they're just kind of sharing it, which is a bit awkward. <laughs> However, even though Fredegund is now the queen of Neustria, her place is not totally secure. She has managed to have four sons, but they've all died as children Aww. from disease. Yeah. Very common, though. Very common, but unfortunate if you're the queen. And your whole deal is that you're so fertile and you can give sons better <laughs> than out of your can. True. She's probably getting into her late 30s at this point. Uh, so it's a bit like, ooh. Yeah, because it's been a while since she had her first daughter, Rigunth. Yeah. yeah. Um, in one particularly sad story from Gregory, both Perry and two of his sons are suffering from a terrible disease. Perry recovers, but the sons do not. Oh. And he and Fredegund, they seem to have a come to Jesus moment where they're like, we've committed all these terrible sins. They end up doing things like burning the tax rolls but it it seems like it's too little too late. Aww. Yeah, and the sons die. And but, they're Christian being like, holiness is what, short-lived? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in uh, sometime in 584, after all of her other sons have died, Fredegund gives birth to one final son. Yay! And he is named Clothar for his grandfather. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And shortly after Clothar's birth, his older sister, Rigunth, who is about 15, is sent south to be married to a Visigoth prince. Mm-hmm. Um, so potentially we might even have some grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So she has sent off Rigunth, as you do, with a large dowry. Yep. And it's not a simple bank transfer. Uh, <laughs> you got to carry those chests. you got to carry all those chests of gold and everything. So she's sent with a large convoy um, that's um, sort of put under guard. Yeah. Down into um, the, into, through Aquitaine. We'll catch up with her a bit later because there is going to be some developments back at home. I'll have a quote from Gregory of Tours. Perry, one day, re- he doesn't call him Perry. <laughs> <laughs> One day, returning from the hunt in the dusk, when he was dismounting from his horse and had one hand on a slave's shoulder, a certain one came and stabbed him with a dagger under the armpit, and repeating the blow, pierced his belly. A flood of blood issued at once from his mouth and the open wounds, and put his wicked soul to flight. I love when these, like... Um, demure church writers write all these gruesome deaths yes. and they're like re- you can tell they're really taking pleasure in like the death of evil people or people they think they're, they're if they're evil. going why the first place you'd aim would be the armpit I guess it goes it's a kind of a soft spot so go and also he's wearing armor so it's probably oh. not not armored yeah either he's just going hunting yeah I don't know maybe wear armor because like you're just you're the king and people yeah. can come out and stab you in the woods which yeah. apparently they do yeah. <laughs> 
Don't go hunting if you're royalty. So it's a bit of a mystery about who sent the assassins. Mm. Maybe it was Brunhilde over in Austrasia. Kind of like how her husband died. Yeah. Brunhilde's later blamed for this death, so maybe it was her. Fredegund is also to blame for this death, according to Gregory, at least. So I don't think that really makes sense. Yeah, we we don't know about that. Um, It's anyone's guess, really, who, who, who sent this. Fredegon has an idea of, of who did this, but we'll get to that. Gregory, yeah, he's rubbing salt in the wound. Um, he ends uh, Perry's reign with this quote. The narrative before this sa- shows how iniquitous he was, for he frequently laid great districts waste and burned them over and experienced no pain in this, but rather joy like Nero before him when he recited tragedies as the palace burned. He often punished men unjustly because of their wealth. Very few clerics in his time reached the office of bishop. He was given over to gluttony, and his belly was his god. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel that that is accurate for me. Like, my belly is my god. Yeah. Um, So Gregory's comparison to Nero seems to be a reference also to the fact that Perry wrote poetry. Secular poetry, not god poetry. Um, blasphemy there. Blasphemy and probably unbecoming of a king. Yeah. Like, that's what the bards do. Leave that to the bards. You're a king, you should be... be writing scholarly things. Or you should be You should be above all. writing in, in your... Because yeah. you're a warrior king, you know? You should be fighting. Yeah. However, Perry was clearly not all bad. Uh, poetry, you consider that a uh, yeah, nice cultural one. contribution. He helped reform the Frankish alphabet, which Ooh, is nice. That is. He also was something of an advocate for women's rights. Oh, how? He reduced some of the abusive effects of Salic law on women. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So some of the laws that Clovis had put in place, they were not very nice to women. And Perry's like, in this new kingdom of Neustria, we're not going to do it like that. Um, But um, people like Gregory, of course, thought he was too influenced by women. And that's what ended up (laughs) causing him to commit these murders. Also, he did kill his wife. So let's not hold him up as this, like, feminist hero. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he was mainly just not nice to the church, which is why he gets such a bad review. <laughs> so for Fredegund, Perry's death is mostly bad news. I mean, the good news is that she has the um, potential to become queen regent for yep. her son because her son is a baby. True. He was born either just before or just after Perry died. <laughs> so, got a little baby king. And, but she has a decent relationship with King Guntram. Oh, yeah. Her neighbour. And Guntram becomes a sort of protector figure for oh, the baby. that's good. Nonetheless, there is no such thing as a smooth transition of power in these early Frankish days. Especially when the heir is a baby and a woman is trying to take power. Mm. There is loads of violence as bands of warriors for and against Fredegon battle it out the streets of Paris. Fredegon has to immediately hide in the cathedral in Paris. So pretty sanctuary. much sanctuary. This is pretty much an ancestor of Notre Dame, this church. <laughs> um, not actually Notre Dame. That won't be built for a few hundred years. But around the site. But you know, she's I think it's pretty it's pretty big hunchback of Notre Dame uh, parallels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but while she is in sanctuary, a guy named Leonard comes Leonard. in. <laughs> That's the most ordinary name we've heard so far. Yeah, we've got all these crazy Germanic names and then it's like Leonard. Leonard. It just goes to show that like some Germanic names really stuck and others did not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's a servant to her daughter, Princess Rigunth. Yeah, who's getting married. She's getting married. And Leonard was meant to go with her. So what's Leonard doing here? Who knows? Who knows? Um, he's here with more bad news. On the way down to the city of Toulouse, the convoy taking the princess and her treasures heard the news of the king's death and they went into full panic mode. Um, <laughs> well, everyone's like, everyone for themselves. Everyone for themselves. People running left and right. They they didn't know about the um, baby king or if he'd like be alive or whatever. Yeah. So they were just like, the king has fallen. This princess is no use anymore. Let's just take all of her stuff and go. So the princess herself um, managed to seek refuge with the local duke. Oh, that's good. Uh, Duke Didier of Toulouse, who was one of her father's top generals. But I knew Didier, actually. Didier, yeah. Yeah, I know someone called that. Yeah, that is, I think that's the modern French version of his name. Didier was not that good, though. He, oh. he ended up taking what was left of her treasure for himself. 
and he kept her locked up in his castle um, in poor conditions. Yeah. Fredegund is furious at this turn of events. Obviously. And she channels that anger towards poor Leonard. (laughs) She has Leonard stripped. She takes back the fancy belt her husband gave him as a, as a present. And also any of the other servants who returned after abandoning Rigonth are quote, beaten, plundered and maimed. So not having a good time. Uh, I do get where she's coming from, though. In terms of, like, that time period, that would be, like, a norm, considering they did abandon a princess. Yeah, she's... Yeah, it's not good. Um, Makes you question their loyalty. Yeah, exactly. Thankfully, Fredegund manages to get Rigonth back after some negotiations. That's good. Uh, but her dowry's gone, and after this traumatic experience, uh, Rigonth never gets a dowry for another marriage. And she ends up having a terrible relationship at home with mum. Like you'd want to get married after that incident. Yep. And we'll get into just how terrible this relationship was in Ulala. So then Gregory goes on to complain about Fredegon behaving badly while she's in Sanctuary. Uh, She seems to have been very paranoid. Uh, She kept accusing servants, officials and churchmen around her of uh, betraying her husband. She pointed the finger for her husband's death. Um, at a guy, a chamberlain called Eberolf, uh, who fled in, into Gregory's church, St. Martin's in Tours, uh, for sanctuary, just like Fredegon fled for sanctuary. But Fredegon didn't care. She had him killed anyway. It's <laughs> oh, so like sanctuary applies to me, but not to you. So Gregory is watching this guy flee into his church and then Fredegon's men just come in and stab him anyway. And Gregory is just here like, Fredegon, like... Fredegund is in Sanctuary, and she's ordering other people to be killed in Sanctuary. Like, that, like, negates the whole point of Sanctuary. Yeah. <laughs> but no one questions it, no, it seems. Well, I mean, people probably do question it, but, you know, Fredegund... She got Fredegund, away with it. She gets away with it. Um, another big name that she supposedly killed is Pretextatus. Remember the Bishop of Rouen? Oh, yeah. He, he's the guy he who... he got them married. He, yeah. he married her enemies together, which she didn't like. And he was assassinated in his own church in 586. Ooh. And he's considered a, a martyr, which is why he's now a saint. <laughs> yeah. And we've got some even more bad news. Queen Brunhilde and her son, King Childebert II in Austrasia, who's now about 15, are going to take this opportunity to finally seek their revenge against Fredegund. So, when it's safe to come out of the cathedral, Queen Fredegund goes to have dinner with King Guntram in Orléans. A nice fancy dinner. Yep. Um, a bunch of generals from Austrasia show up. Ooh. They give Guntram a message from Childebert II, which says, Give up that murderess who strangled my aunt and killed my father and uncle, and also slew my cousins with the sword. Um, but King Guntram replies, In the court which we hold... We decide everything and consider what ought to be done. (laughs) And then he proceeds to do nothing. Uh, (laughs) He's just like, I'll be Switzerland. Yeah, he's very Switzerland. Um, So at this point in the narrative, Guntram seems to be taking the wheel a bit and smoothing everything over. While Fredegund is going crazy and lashing out at everyone. uh, Which is maybe sort of Gregory bias there. Yeah. Um, Because we know that Gregory likes Guntram. Actually, we know that Gregory is personal friends with Guntram. Uh. And uh, gives a glowing review of Guntram, which is why Guntram will later be a saint. Uh. Um, because he was apparently very pious. But the whole time, Gregory's urging Guntram to stop being friends with Fredegund, stop hanging out with her, she's a bad influence, and to take Brunhilde's side in the feud. Um, so Guntram, he does keep Fredegund at arm's length because he doesn't want to offend Brunhilde and Childebert, but he's not actively going against her. Uh. He's just sort of keeping her in the background. She's, she's kept, uh, she's um, ordered to retire to her villa. Um, at, like hiding her away. At Ruiz. Yeah. So a bit away from Paris where she can be kept an eye on. So, however, she still seems to be regent, at least nominally and have a bit of influence. Yeah. Hence the fact that she's able to get a lot of people murdered. <laughs> and, um, apparently at one point Fredegon attempts to have Guntram assassinated, but I'm not really, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not really that. buying this. Yeah. Maybe she's resentful that she's been put out of the spotlight, but at the same time, it's like, why would you kill your only ally? 
Yeah, we'll and we've ally. been told that they per- they're personal friends, they're having dinner together, yeah. so we're not sure. Um, but we do know that Guntram dies, probably oh. old age, at the age of 60. Oh. Very, very old. Yeah, <laughs> for that's these, time period. For this time. And Gregory of Tours dies around the same time. So we're kind of left- dies friends. Yeah, they die, they die holding hands. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're, we're left on a bit of a cliffhanger by Gregory of Tours. He didn't yeah. resolve Fredegund's story. I know. So what's going to happen? We do have some slightly murkier sources to rely on from mm. this point on. Um, with King Guntram gone, Fredegund is now the undisputed regent of Neustria. However, Childebert... Uh, has inherited Burgundy from Guntram because uh, he, remember, he declared in the yeah. air. So Childebert now controls two of the three Frankish kingdoms. Ooh. And after establishing control over Burgundy, Childebert turns to Neustria and starts planning to conquer it Uh-oh. to become the next king of all the Franks. Ooh. But he does not succeed. In 596, he and his wife, Feluba, are both killed by poison. Ooh. Mm. Guess who likes poison? Fredegund. Fredegund. <laughs> she likes her poison and her daggers. Yeah, and Childebert has- Girl's best friends. Childebert has two sons, Theodobert II and Theo- Theodoric II. Okay. Um, so the kingdom, the two kingdoms are split once more. Yeah. And Brunhilde becomes queen grandmother um, and she's regent. But her power is noticeably weaker. Yeah. Um, because she has a lot of fighting with the nobles. They don't like that there's a woman in charge. Yeah. Um, and around the same time, the Avars also attack Thuringia, which is part of Brunhilde's territory. Uh, so she has to go off and deal with that. Yeah, she basically bribes them to go away. <laughs> which, as we may know from, <laughs> from... They prefer battles to bribes. If anyone knows any, like, Viking history, they're always, like... They'll come back. Buying them off. They're going to come back because they know you have money. Yeah. It's like, um, what is a, what's the thing about wasps where, like, you can't, you can't. I have no idea. You can't fight off wasps with honey or something. There's a saying. Yeah. Something. Anyway. (laughs) So they, so they, they look rich, but weak, I suppose. Easy pickings. But just as everything is coming up, Fredegund, she dies. (gasps) No. On the 8th of December, uh, 597, Fredegund dies of natural causes, probably in her 50s. Oh, yeah. that's good age. Good age. We don't have Gregory to- of Tours to give us a lovely, gruesome detail about how she died. Um, but So that's at least a mercy. <laughs> yeah. He probably would have been like, she died in agony. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so now, close on a who's in his early teens. Yep is left to rule Neustria in his own right, and he must contend with Brunhilde Ooh. to become king of all the Franks. Ooh. Spoiler alert for next episode. <laughs> so now it's time to review Fredegund. Hey. So we'll go to Enchanté. Enchanté. So Fredegund is an iconic historical villain. She's got several famous images from the 19th century, so mm-hmm. I had to pick one. Um, but if there's one thing artists love, especially 19th century Victorian <laughs> artists, it's a controversial historical woman. Yeah. Whether it's Cleopatra or Circe or Fredegund. Yeah. Um, and she's actually, she, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but she seems to have as many, if not more, depictions as Clovis in this sort Oh, of wow. Art. Yeah. So she's really iconic. Um, she really loves so here's the episode icon that we're using. Okay, so we're using she is not looking happy. Yeah. So this is a painting, this is one of the many paintings of witnessing and ordering the death of Bishop Pretextatus. Uh, she kind of looks more like disapproving though. That's weird. Yeah, so that's the whole painting, which will be on uh, our WordPress Like and she's just Instagram. there and her arms are folded and she's just like mm. Yeah. She's like, you've been a very naughty boy. She's got the cra- she's got a lovely crown. Yeah. A beautiful golden dress with a veil on top. Yeah. Um, and we've got a Yeah, so we've got lots of very dramatic 19th century depictions of her, which we'll put this one and maybe a couple more on our Instagram and our um WordPress. Site. WordPress. So 
we've also got a, a tomb effigy, which is uh, carved in uh, copper and marble, Ooh. which is very, which is rather lovely mm. colors. Oh yeah, it still retains some of the color, like it's mm. like kind of like an outline of her. Yeah, but you can't see her face. That's like gone. This is contemporary, as far as I know. Oh, I believe her son had this tomb built for, for, for Ooh, her. Not that contemporary. <laughs> Well, it was obviously after yeah, she yeah, died. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, because it's, a, yeah. it's like a it's like a sarcophagus yeah. color sort of thing. It's really nice. It has like mm. crown. Yeah, has the scepter. Yeah, and she, so nice. I think, I believe she ended up in the uh, Basilica of Saint Denis, which um, doesn't doesn't exist yet, but will but become we'll- the traditional resting place of the kings of France. I think it's a it's a rather lovely el- effigy. Yeah, it is. Um, it's cool that it survived. Yeah. So, what are we going to give for Enchante? I think it's fairly positive. Yep. This iconic image of this murderous evil queen, and that she's given given like all these like depictions, like it shows that mm. she has made her mark. It like, really does. Yeah. On history a lot, and to have that survive the um, effigy is pretty amazing. So, I want to give her some good points for that. I really like your depictions. Yeah. Um, it's not a lot in terms of things that she actually created and built. Yeah. But in terms of, like, she's not act- her story has lasted. Yeah. Um, she's not she's not actively shaping her image in yeah. the way that we would probably want to get, like, a really good points. Yeah. But it's fairly iconic, I think. Yeah, and, like, it's something that, like, she's left a mark that- People still painting her, like you mm. know, hundreds on hundreds of years later, and I like, mean, technically, and then a lot of but things. Are, technically, I mean, most of the kings do get painted because yeah, that's what we're using. Not a lot of them, but not like, as not as much. As, yeah, yeah. Like they might have a portrait or two, but like some of them, we really just scowled around find yeah. anything yeah. of them. So for her to have like quite a few shows, yeah. and she's gonna get like plays and operas written about her. Yeah. Like it's a compelling dramatic tale of her life. Yeah. Lots of juicy murders. So, so what do we want to give for um, Enchanté? I want to give her a good, a decent yeah. one. Above five. I want to give her above five. Oh, really? Know. Yeah, yeah. I really like her. Maybe it's just because she's a woman. But I don't, I don't know if I'll give her above five. Just because of the, 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 the lack of stuff from the time is, like, really something I'd want, you know? I... I I don't know. I, I just I love that like whole <laughs> vibes going yeah. on. I just sang about that. I'm just like yes, yeah. Like she's a smart woman. So what was this called? Give her a six. Give her a six. Yeah. Mm. I just really like her. Yeah. I'm just gonna. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm. I, I have to give her a four. Oh. I know. I'm. I'm not being as generous because I do think Clovis had just as many iconic images, and we gave him a way lower score. So I don't know. I think so. maybe it's just for me something to do with like a villainess. And yeah, like, you know. I understand that. Yeah, personal preferences. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't. I I I, I like that we're not giving all the same scores all the time. Yeah, that's nice. On guard. So on guard. Obviously, we should judge her a little differently because she's a woman. Um, she's not necessarily going into battles. Um, there is, there is a depiction of her, like, riding into battle with baby Clovis, which I think we didn't really consider in Entre Day, but it's a medieval image. That's cool. That's kind of cool. Don't see many depictions of women in battle. Yeah. She's riding, well, she's not really in battle, but she's riding for, like, a negotiation and she's holding the baby. (laughs) The baby king. That's empowering, like, kind of vibe. Like, you know, being like, so what if I'm a woman and I have a baby? I can still do shit. Yeah. So, Fredegund... I think she's going to get a positive on guard score because she's not necessarily like directly fighting battles or like expanding the Frankish territory, but she's fighting for her own place at the top of the food chain. Yeah, especially considering that she may have started off as a slave. Yeah. I think that's pretty epic. And she's using all the weapons that are available to a woman. Like she's using- Daggers of poison. Daggers of poison. She's using her seductive (laughs) charm. She's using her good looks. She's using her brain. She's using her brain as well. She's- Takes a brain to execute all these plots. I know. So that's like smart, sir. Yeah. You have to have a level, of, and she has to have a level of like fearlessness to be able to do this. Yeah, and she has to have a level of like people ability. who are loyal to her. Yeah, she, yeah. And she got that. Like she even got um. She seems Dalcrum. to. Have, yeah, and she seems to have like minions, lots of mil- minions. Yeah. And your minions aren't going to stay on your side if if you're 
um, not don't have that level of charisma and yeah. like yeah, inspire fear in people. But love. Um, so good points here. She got rid of the rivals for her husband's affection. She starts being one of three wives, ends up the sole wife. Mm-hmm. By the end, she's gotten all of her stepchildren out of the way, so that there's no rivals for her son. Um, however, I think the more agency we give her, the more villainous she looks, the more bad she looks, the more credit we give her for the different murders and stuff, the more that we're playing into Gregory's narrative of, yeah. like, she's a woman in power and she's not beloved by the church, therefore she's evil. It's like the Madonna whore complex. Yeah. Again. I don't think she's evil. I just think, like, yeah. you know, she knew what she had to, like, skills that she had and she knew she couldn't get by with, like, you know, the traditional thing of a woman being, like, having to be virtuous because, yeah. like, you know, she knew, no, I I have to think of a different way and I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. And I like that. I think we can reclaim her narrative a little yeah, bit here. I, I, and anyway, what's wrong with, like, a villainous vibe? I love it. I think it's really cool. Like, that villainesses are so usually so smart and stuff, I find, in depictions when you think about it. Yeah. But on, on the other hand, we have to consider, like, was she just someone being carried along by circumstance who really didn't have that much agency and she just had a lot of stuff being blamed on her. That's a, that's something we can consider. Yeah. But, you know, that's not really what's in the source. So, I know. <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't. So at the start of Fredegund's regency, Guns- Guntram seems to have taken control or at least a good deal of influence over Chilperic's land. So that's not necessarily positive. Yeah. Because Fredegund's not really the one in charge yet. Yeah. But I suppose um, she was just starting out. She's still trying to, like, consolidate her power, get people to be on her side. Yeah. And Guntram kind of comes in and undoes a lot of the things that Fredegund, her husband, did to take uh, power. So I've got a quote. Um, Guntram, by process of justice, restored all that King Chilperic's follow- followers had wrongfully taken from various sources. And he himself gave much to the churches, and he gave effect to the wills of the dead, which had contained bequests to churches, and had been broken by Chilperic. And he was generous to many, and gave much to the poor. <laughs> I just felt that it was just a church praise the whole time. Yeah. Um, but maybe it was smart, a bit smart for Fredegon to to just let him. Guntram have a bit of control. And considering that it seems like people really liked Guntram, yeah. considering that he can have, be friends of both sides, mm. he, it was smart, it, you know, like, she didn't fight it, so she- But we don't know if that was her choice, or if, yeah. or if she was being restrained. Yeah, it's hard to know. Because in this period, she seems to be going a little bit crazy. <laughs> As you would. She seems to be a bit paranoid and lashing out at people. Well, at considering this point. how many stabby stabs there's been. Yeah, well, considering her husband was murdered and like she, her life was threatened as well. Yeah, it's kind of understandable, but also you know, beating servants isn't very nice. Yeah. Well, they did leave her daughter. Yeah, but we'll get into that in full later. <laughs> Whether it would have been actually nice to be around her. Yeah. However, yeah, she seems even in this sort of lower status. She seems to still be ordering things to happen. Yeah. And things are getting done and people are getting murdered. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's definitely, in like, doing it well, like, in terms of, like, personal gains. Yeah. And at the end, she's undefeated. Yeah. She's on top. She went from being a slave to being a queen regent. She did, yes. Who was holding the power, so she basically was just queen. Yeah. Like, you know, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, what do we want to give her for on guard? I want to give her a decent score. Decent score. Probably not as good as Clovis, who, like, conquered yeah, the whole territory. Yeah, yeah. Didn't we give him, like, none But probably not as bad as Clovis the First, who kind of just sat around and waited for things yeah. to happen. What did we give him? So, Clovis the First, we both gave nine. Yeah. Clothar the First, we gave a four and a five. Mm. So, that's a good barometer, I think, okay. to think about. Maybe somewhere between there, yeah. I would think. I want to give her, like, another six. Another six? I, I don't, yeah. Oh, I thought you'd give higher. Um, Maybe seven. Maybe seven? Yeah, I'm going to give seven because she really does have that personal gains. It's not about selflessness. It's about... Yeah, yeah, she does have that period of like... And she doesn't reign as sole queen regent for very long. Like, it takes all this time to... Oh, but she she is... She managed to do it from being a slave. Yeah, she did manage to do it from being a slave. Okay, I think you've convinced me. <laughs> uh, we'll do a seven each. So that's a 14... For on guard. Yes. Voulez-vous? So moving on to voulez-vous, 
It's not as much. Slightly more negative. Yeah. Because um, Vuli Vu is all about, do you want to be a subject? And <laughs> I don't know if I would like to live yeah. under this particular queen. I know. There was one moment reading Gregory of Tula where I thought Fredegund was about to lay down the law and be a good queen. <laughs> but this is Gregory of Tours and Fredegund is his villain. Yeah. So she did a red wedding. Woo! <laughs> so this will also feature this in Ulala, but I, I thought it, it's the only example I could find of Fredegund ruling and adjudicating a dispute. <laughs> so I'll just read the quote. Let's hear it. Among the Franks of Tournai, a great feud arose because the son of one often angrily rebuked the son of another, who had married his sister for leaving his wife and visiting a prostitute. And when reform on the part of the guilty man did not follow, the anger of the youth became so great that he rushed upon his brother-in-law and killed him and his men, and was himself killed by his opponents. And there was only one left from both parties who lacked a slayer. Upon this, the kinsmen on both sides raged at one another, but were frequently urged by Queen Fredegund to give up their enmity and become friends, lest their persistence in the quarrel might cause a greater disturbance. So I'm thinking now, like, oh, Fredegund's oh, yeah, about yeah. to do some good that queening. Yeah. <laughs> But when she failed to reconcile them with gentle words, she tamed them on both sides with the axe. (laughs) For she invited many to a feast and caused these three to sit on the same bench. And when the dinner had been prolonged until night covered the earth, the table was taken away according to the custom of the Franks, and they sat on the bench in their places. Much wine had been drunk, and they were so overcome by it that the slaves were intoxicated and were lying asleep in all the corners of the house. Each where he fell. (laughs) They really had a good time. Yeah. Then, by the woman's order, three men with axes stood behind these three, and while they were talking together, the hands of the men flashed in a single blow, so to speak, and they were struck down, and the banquet ended. Why were three killed? So there's three men of the squabbling oh. uh, families. Oh, okay. Um, and Fredegund brings in three men with axes to execute them all. That's <laughs> that. You're just having a lovely time. One you're a bit sweet. like slosh. And then, yeah. The people of Champagne, which is kind of the region where this yeah. was happening. Did not raise a champagne glass. They did not raise a champagne. They were angry because of this matter. But while Childebert, the neighbouring king, was interposing a delay, Fredegund was saved by the help of her people and hastened to another place. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, again, we've got some loyal followers here. But unfortunately, there's sadly not much evidence for anything good Fredegund did for the kingdom. She administers justice through red red weddings, basically. (laughs) So I don't think she should be held up as a feminist icon by any means. She's um, the best that can be said. Uh, there's the thing of her husband improving women's lives. And burning of the tax thingies. Yeah, that's kind of an isolated incident because they then proceeded to keep doing that. Oh. Um, <laughs> levying harsh taxes. Um, uh, after Guntram dies, Fredegund has a few years of total regency and Gregory's no longer there to criticise her. Oh. On the other hand, we don't know much about what happened, yeah. but- I feel if something major had happened, there would have been maybe a recorder. Yeah. Like, the kingdom doesn't fall apart. Yeah. Like, she obviously can keep it, like... Yeah. So like she, she didn't lose anything, which is good. Yeah. She's, she mains, maintains power yeah. in this period of... Of, like, like a, turmoil, a few kind years. of, people being unsure. Yeah, well, it's kind of... She's able to get a bit of a breather because Brunhilde's off dealing with all the problems in her kingdom. Yep. She's so, like, oh, yes. yeah. Um, and she lives just long enough to smoothly transition power to her son. That's good. Because even though her son is, like, a teenager, he's considered a man by the standards of the time. So he's not a child anymore. But she's kind of the anti-Clotilda. Because remember, Clotilda was really good for the um, Voulez-Vu score. Because she was, like, doing all this patronage and stuff. Fredegund's not doing any of that. (laughs) Um, Also, major bad point. Her legacy is just another part of the interfamilial conflicts that are going to completely erode the power of the Merovingians. <laughs> They're going to be too busy fighting among themselves, and that's going to lead to the nobles, the uppity nobles. The rise of the nobles. The rise of the nobles. They're going to gain some more power over the next few episodes, mm. as we'll see. So th- it's not a great contribution, yeah. I don't think. I don't know if I'd like to have lived under her rule yeah. as much as I think she's a hashtag girl boss. Yeah. 
Um, she's not good. I don't want her to be my boss. <laughs> I'm going to give her a point for potentially influencing Perry's um, female. Yeah, I think that's one point. She deserves a point for that. Um, and I'm going to give her another point for actually maintaining like, at least a level of stability during her regency. She could have lost it all. Yeah. If she wasn't smart enough. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. So I'm going to give her two points. I don't know if the 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 women's rights thing is worth a whole point because she's not actually credited for that. It's her husband who's credited for that. She deserves it. I mean, yeah, I think it's one. It's a one point five for me. I'm going to stick with two. Okay, so that is a three point five for Valivu. <laughs> You're going so well, Fredegund. Ooh la la. This is the reason I chose it. This round, there's a lot. <laughs> Yay, she'll go to high school. So, bear in mind that most, if not all, of these stories are probably just gossip and rumours that Gregory has gathered up. But, you know, yeah. we're dealing with the history that's given to us. So, let's talk about her relationship with her daughter, Rigunth. Yeah. It's not the best relationship. Not only was Rigunth a source of disappointment because of her failed marriage... It wasn't um, even really a marriage. You didn't get no, to that stage. Sorry, her failed betrothal, I suppose. Yeah. But Ferdigand was also apparently envious of Rigunt's youth and beauty. And Rigunt's behaviour towards Fredegund was no better. <laughs> so there's a bit of a toxic cycle of abuse going on. So here's a quote from Gregory. Rigunt, daughter of Chilperic, often made malicious charges against her mother and said that she was mistress and that her mother ought to serve her. I think this is because, like, Rigonth is, like, she's like, I'm a princess, and you're, like, a slave originally, so you mm. should bow down to me. Even though you gave birth to me. Yeah. So, Rigonth often attacked her with abuse and sometimes struck and slapped her. God. Yeah. And her mother said to her, why do you annoy me, daughter? Come, take your father's things, and I'll I have you do with them as you please. So, she's like... Sounding very nice. She's like, fine, you can have some of your father's treasure if it'll make you happy. And Fredegund went into the storeroom and opened a chest quite full of necklaces and costly jewels. For a long time, she took them out one by one and handed them to her daughter, but finally said, I am tired. You put in your hand and take what you find. And Rigunth thrust in her arm and was taking things from the chest when her mother seized the lid and slammed it down on her head. And she was holding it down firmly, and the lower board was pressing against her daughter's throat so that her eyes were actually ready to pop out. When one of the maids, who was within, called loudly, Run, I beg you, my mistress is being choked to death by her mother. Um, And those who were awaiting their coming outside rushed into the little room and saved the girl from threatening death and led her out. After that, their enmity was more bitter and there were continual quarrels and fighting between them. Above all, because of the adulteries Rigunth was guilty of. <laughs> so yeah, this is very Evil Queen and, and Snow White vibes. Yeah. If Snow White was equally as bad. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of this sort of insidious mother-daughter dynamic that pops uh, up a lot in sort of myths and stuff. Yeah. Um... That will get a point, though. Oh, not, definitely. Like, potentially, not just killing her stepchildren, but poten- fine, potentially killing her own daughter. Yeah, because she keeps she's going until she gets stopped. Like, she would have yeah. done it. Yeah. We also got a potential scandal when she's visiting Guntram for one of their dinners. Oh. So here's a quote. So the queen rose and said farewell, but was detained by the king, who said, "Eat something more." But she replied. Pardon me, pray, my lord, for according to the custom of women, I must rise because of having conceived. (laughs) Upon hearing this, he was amazed, knowing that it was the fourth month since she had borne a son, but he permitted her to rise. So, (laughs) Perry's just died, and their son's just been born, and there seems to be no way that she could be pregnant again (laughs) from Perry. So, she's obviously in her widowhood having a little bit of fun. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. She's or she just really did not want to stay for dinner and was like, oh, this is a good laugh. Yeah, maybe she meant He that. won't question it. He's is, pious. Is that the best line? <laughs> no, that's even more reason not to mention it. <laughs> I don't you know. It, it's, 
implying that Fredegund had relations out of wedlock, which is a no-no in this time. Yeah. So that's got to be some ooh-la-la points. Well, I think Gunther was fine with it in the end, considering he still remained friends with her. Yeah, but yeah, he, you get the sense that he doesn't approve. Um, he gets very shocked. Um, but yeah. Scandalous. Uh, another thing for ooh-la-la, she took sanctuary in a church whilst ordering her husband's killer to be killed in Sanctuary, which is a ballsy move. Yep. And violates the exact same law that she was using for protection. <laughs> yeah. Apparently she harboured a witch once. Oh, cool. Uh, so this is from the time of Fredegon's regency. Apparently there's a woman who's, uh, uh, like, going around, like, telling fortunes and stuff, uh. and she's too bedecked out in jewels that she potentially stole. Uh. So everyone accuses her of witchcraft because they want her jewels. Ben the witch. And she ends up running away from uh, the Bishop of Verdun, who's the local bishop. Yep. She runs to Fredegund and Fredegund protects her. <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot. That's a nice thing Fredegund did. Yeah. But she's harboring a witch. <gasps> so that's scandal. And of course she read weddings, some dudes, see above. Poison and daggers. <laughs> Poison daggers. Potentially killing- assassinated two kings. Yeah. Regicide. Um, yeah. Killed her stepchildren. Killed her stepchildren. Um, kill, uh, potentially was behind the murder of Galswinda. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot. I, like, that is, I don't know what more we could want. Yeah. Also, there's the story that she, she killed her husband. According yeah. to legend, she killed her husband. Like, what more is there? Yeah. Like, what more can make her, like, like, yeah. are we missing? I cannot think of anything. Also, the guy that she accused of killing her husband, apparently that was because he... Didn't, he didn't actually kill her husband, but he'd spurned her sexual advances. <laughs> <laughs> so out of out of rage, she accused him of her husband's <laughs> murder, and he was put to death in sanctuary. <laughs> I literally cannot think of anything else it's to make it better. It's scandal on scandal on scandal. I know. I want to give her a 10. I also want to give her a 10. This is, this is, she's ticking every single box. I of, know. I don't know what more I could want. Of like, I'm a woman in, in, the, the Dark Ages. What are all of the scandalous things I could do? Murdering a bishop. Adultery. Killing of relatives. So much. Okay, that's going to... I think it's going to be for both of us. So this is our first ever 20, Ooh, 20 out of 20 score. Ooh, that's 10 from it. each of us. Yeah. So that's a 20 for ooh la la. Love you on the So we're going to count um, the time she was regent. Yep. Which is from the death of her husband yep. to her own death. Yep. Um, but we're going to count this as half points because she wasn't ruling all the friends. Yes. Yeah. So her time as regent is from late 584 until her death on the 8th of December 597. So that's about 13 years. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So that is 1.2 points for the length of reign. Isn't terribly great. <laughs> um, and then her family... Unfortunately, she had all of these numerous children. But only two Most of them survived. died. Only two survived. Assuming she died after Rigonth. We actually don't know Rigonth's mm. death well, date. Well, we'll just assume that. Whereas, you, for absence of a death date, we'll just assume Rigonth outlived her mom. Yeah. So that's two children. That's 3.38 points. So there's a total of the on throne score of 4.6. <laughs> which is like, eh. Um, it's worse, worse. It's worse than either the kings we've had. But, you know. Let's see what her total score is. Yes. Her total score is 52.1. Damn, that's Damn. good. That is better than either Clovis or Clover. <laughs> you know, if you have a good story, it goes far. Yeah, it does. And we picked her for a reason. So she would get to sit in the royal box. Yeah, well. In the stadium, I if, feel. So assuming she was a king, would we send her to the guillotine? I wouldn't. I want to keep her around. She's just... Yeah. Oh, I think she's too much of a badass. I know. And she would... If she... Let's say she had been king of all the Franks. Yeah. Or rather queen regnant of all yeah. the Franks. She would do so well in, in the eventual oh. competition. Yes. Fortunately not. But she gets to sit in the stadium and In the watch, royal box. Watch the tournament. In the royal box. Not with the commoners. Not with the commoners, of course. 
Um, so yeah, that has been our episode on Fredagon. You'll have to let us know what you think of her. Please let us know what you think of her. Would you spare her or not? So as ever, we would like to thank Rex Factor for inspiration. And they are currently going through all the kings... uh, Sorry. No, queens. They're currently going through all the queens and uh, consorts of England. Yeah. So if you want more stuff about queens, go to them. Um, and also there's a podcast called the Queens podcast, which, um, we've become friends with them through Twitter. So that's lovely. Check them out. They just do like loads of Queens. From all over the world, all which over is the nice, world. that diversity. They've also done an episode on Freddie Mercury, so <laughs> he's a queen. He's a queen. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so... Remember to check us out on all the social medias, mm-hmm. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. We've got our WordPress site. Yes, so that's battleroyalepodcast.wordpress.com, and there you'll see all the images that we talk about and you'll see, you'll be able to see Fredegon's family tree. Any maps. And some maps, yeah. The maps are pretty Ben's good. pride to, and joy. My pride and joy. Oh, I made the maps myself. I know, that's what I'm saying. So they're probably a bit shoddy because I am not a professional cartographer by any means, but I was working off and combining a few maps to like just make it simple. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to directly contact us, we have an email, battleroyalepod at gmail.com. And, yeah, yeah, please let us know what you thought of Fredegund. Um, if you think she would deserve the guillotine, were she actually in our competition. And we'll see you next time for yes. our next king, whoever that might be. Ooh. Is it Fredegund's son? Or is it going to be one of her rival Brunhilde's children? Ooh. We'll see. All right. So that's going to be au revoir from me. And goodbye from me.